Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. Well, woohoo! Exciting. So yeah, it was. Um, I was there for Saturday for the youth thing, for the session parts, and. Um, I'm definitely not a youth. <laughs> Their energy level is through the roof. So, <laughs> but uh, it's it's good. It's good to see what God's doing. Well, um, I was watching this with my grandkids, um, and you might know this account. How many know the account of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And it hit me, and I just wanted to bring it out today because... There's so many parallels, I believe, in the time that we're at. You know, the Bible talks about the spirit of Elijah in the last days. The spirit of Elijah turns the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children's back to their fathers and or, or their parents and, you know, those. Um, but it talks about heart restoration. But when you look at Elijah, the one thing that I believe um, we continually saw in Elijah is he would get to the bottom of an issue so that he could get to the heart. And I believe that's what God's doing, even in this time. He's wanting to get our hearts back, even in the midst of all the upheaval. And I believe a lot of the upheaval that's going on, um, the enemy, we know, does it. But God uses it, and he uses it to shake us up to shake things up because the Bible says whatever can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain then it says therefore since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken that's what the, the, it follows through with in that in Hebrews I'm not going to go there tonight but that you know that we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken and Elijah lived in that reality and he walked in it. And I believe more than ever before, we need to know that. And we're going to see something here because we have to look at it in the context of, um, of his time. Because God works with us in the time and the season that we're at, right? Where it was funny because Sheila did the Friday night. And like in youth, when we were younger, you know, it was you had a certain way of doing things and there how many know there was the smoke and then there was the lights and that was the big thing well on this one on the friday night it was the room was dark they would they liked it they like it dark where they could just kind of be there with them and god and so she was like well that's really different but you know what they were receiving they weren't distracted they were so whatever works so god works with whatever works right it's not so caught up in all of the the stuff he's like, he wants to get through to us. Well, in Elijah's time, I want us to kind of set the tone here. David was a great king, and he was a faithful king to God, and he gave his kingdom, and he gave instruction to his son Solomon, and he said, Solomon, you know, serve the Lord, keep him, you know, at the forefront, worship him with all your heart. And Solomon, you know, built the temple, which David couldn't do because he was a man of war and had blood on his hands. So Solomon completed this temple, but Solomon's heart strayed. And then he got all these foreign wives, and then he began to set up all these other gods with these other wives, started to worship them. And then we just hear 
over and over when you read this whole part of the history in, in 1 Kings, it's kind of depressing because every king got more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And, and, and so hearts stray. How many know human hearts stray? And, and we, we live in generations, we live in times where we're like, oh, we're shocked. And it's like, why is this happening? Because that's what hearts do. They stray from God. And when we've got wicked leaders, we're like, oh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, it's like God's not moved by that. What are you going to do in the midst of a wicked leader? That's what is more important, not what that leader does. It's what are you doing in the midst of it? We're going to look at this uh, as we, we, we study the, the life of Elijah here. But, um, <clears throat> you know, he says here, um, First of all, I want us to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because this is the first thing we see in the life of Elijah, and I believe it needs to be in our lives, is Elijah lived a life that was laid down before God, which he gave his God his, God his life. It was his worship. And it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him or this is your spiritual worship or another translation says this is your reasonable service and you know sometimes people are like you know yeah i'm coming to church and i do work you know i'm doing worship and i'm serving in this and they're you know they they expect this this big huge hero biscuit it's like it's your reasonable service it's it's reasonable in god's eyes when we lay our lives down we serve because we love god because of what he did for us it's not this big huge thing it's part of our life it's what we do then it says don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world but god, let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think we're going to see this in the life of Elijah because we, I believe this is where we're at in the church, is God is changing the way we think because we have lived in the pattern of the world. There is a lot of patterns of the world that are just the same in the church. And if we look at the Bible and we actually read the Bible, there are so many things in the kingdom of God. I call it the upside down kingdom because it's just so weird. The kingdom of God principles are weird. There's so many of them that are just weird. They don't make sense. They're not logical. You know, you give to get. In other to, in, in to be elevated, you go down. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up. So to go, to go up, you go down. And Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. It, it, there's just so many things that it's okay. They're, they're, they're strange principles, but they work. So he says here, then he says, when you, um, when you let God transform you into a, a person changing the way you think, it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen? How many want to know God's will for you? Well, first of all, we have to seek it out. And, um, and we have to allow God to do that work in us. And so... Um, We've got to allow that transformation. And we're going to look at that as we go on. But I want us to go, we're going to start in the life of Elijah. 
So what I want to set the 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 the, um, the framework here. So now we come to King Ahab, and the Bible says he was more wicked than all the other kings. They just kept getting more wicked, more wicked, more wicked, and then Ahab was just really bad. And Elijah is stuck with this guy because the prophet of God in that time was the voice of God. He was the basically the conscience for a person that he would speak what God wanted them to hear to their heart because they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have the Holy Spirit now. And so Elijah had to deal with a very wicked king. How many of you sometimes feel like, you know, you're, you're in an atmosphere and it's very contrary to God and you're standing there shining brightly and, you know, just doing what you need to do as a good person and people start getting angry at you and they're just, uh, why are you, you know, and, you know, they don't, they're wondering why you don't laugh at their dirty jokes and they, they just, it, you bug them, right? How many have that? Well, if you don't have that, I'm concerned for you. Because we need to be different. Elijah was like that. It says here, now Elijah, who was from Tishba and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to east to, to hide by the Cherith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord had told him and camped beside Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Um, <clears throat> but after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now I want us to, first of all, see something here. Now Elijah the prophet is dealing with this situation. Now Baal... How many know that Baal, Baal was the fertility god, and one of the things that he was known for is rain and dew. He was lord of the rain and lord of dew. Now, Baal worship was huge among the children of Israel at this time, uh, who Elijah was, was uh, representing and uh, speaking on behalf of their god. And he was dealing with this situation. And he basically said, okay, this Lord of the rain and Lord of the dew, we'll see who's Lord. No rain for you. And we're like, that's harsh. But see, you have to understand something. The God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, they didn't have a revelation of the devil. God's been progressive in his revelation. Jesus was the one. That revealed God as Father. God wasn't known as Father before that. Jesus was the one that brought the revelation. Well, it actually came before that. But the, the revelation of the devil wasn't at that time. So God had to be the God of both good and evil. He had to be the God of everything. He had to be the God who was in control of everything. And so basically, when he was dealing with this situation, the children of Israel were straying off to this Baal God and worshiping him. And God's like, no. No, you want to go to that God? I'll show you what that God can do. I'll chop his power off. And we're like, you know, the things, something that we have to understand is God still deals with situations and things. You know, when, when nations want to have wicked leaders and wicked leaders do what they do, 
there's consequences to it. There are judgments, there are things that come into a land that we have to walk through. I'm like, he's not a God of judgment. Well, then he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He would have to apologize to these others that he dealt with. Like, we, we can't pick and choose. We can't, like, well, it's, he's different now. No, he's not different. He's extended mercy and he's extended grace. We're going to see this even with Elijah. Elijah's representing God, but he's also showing there is a way out. But he's trying to get to the heart of the matter here. But what I love about this is in the midst of this tough time, there's no rain and there's no, no water. So how many know it dries up and things get scarce? But God's like, no, I'm going to provide a brook. It's going to supply for you, and these ravens are going to come, and they're going to take care of you. But even at that time, it dried up and it stopped. And then it says here, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the, the, the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he, as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to eat it, he called to her, Bring me a bit of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just getting, gathering a few sticks to cook this meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And that happened. So what I want us to see here, and this is what we need to understand about God, this is the upside-down kingdom. God's like, okay, the, the ravens have stopped giving you food. Things have dried up. I've got a widow. And guess what? She's starving. Perfect. You know, she doesn't have this big bread. And she's like, come on in, you know. And she couldn't, you know, doesn't go and get someone who's loaded. It's not a loaded widow. She's broke. She's dying. She's on her last meal. But see, a lot of times... This is the way we see things. But God saw an opportunity because he said, look, feed the prophet first, which represented putting God first. Basically, he said, look, give it to me first. And when you do that, God is going to unlock something. Sometimes the miracles in our house and all we see is this little bit, but it's the seed. It's the seed that we need to plant. Sometimes people are eating their seed. They're just, and they, they, they don't care. They're just, they're not honoring God and putting God first in anything. And then you're wondering, well, where's God in it? Well, where have you put him first? Where have you sown the seed? Where have you honored him with the first fruits? We always want the, the benefit side, but it's like, no. God says, if you will, then I will. 
We want the if. We want the then, but we don't want the if. And the if is what you do. And so Elijah understood this, and he said, look, do this. And this lady did it. This widow did it. And the Bible says that her jar or her food didn't run out the whole time, that whole season. So God has sustaining power when we honor him and obey him. And I don't care. Mark my words. I do not care how topsy-turvy everything gets. My life is not based on Canada's economy. There's a greater kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. And it works when every other kingdom doesn't work. God had ravens come and bring food. God can get a bird to poop money for you if he needs to. God still has the recipe for manna. It's the God we serve. Will he do it that way? I doubt it. Why? Because he's so big, he always has something fresh. We'll never exhaust him. But we need to be bigger than this. We need to be bigger than restrictions and all of these things and, and how it's hindering this and hindering that. No, God has something bigger even in the midst of it. And we're never, ever restricted completely. And so when those types of restrictions come or the effects of certain things like this situation, this was a famine. Why? Because there was judgment on the God of Baal. And God was dealing with things. You know what our God is? It's not gods like this. Our God is humanism. Man is the center of all things. And what I know and what I see and what I understand. That's our big God that we deal with. We put God on trial. It's like, oh yeah? It's like, we... You know, the way people talk about how they've studied different things and it's like they've got God on trial. It's like, oh, we'll see if he's got... I'm going to get out of the way from you because you will see. Sooner or later, you will see. And I don't want to be near that. And Elijah understood this. And Elijah feared God. But Elijah had a firm conviction that God was who he was and he needed to be seen in his generation. So well, let's go now to, to 1 Kings 18 because in this situation, it says here, we'll start at verse 1. It says, later on in the third year of the drought. So the drought is coming to an end. And Elijah says here, he said, go and present yourself um, uh, to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Um, meanwhile, the, the famine became very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge. You know, we're not going to read that part just to, to save time. But basically, Obadiah protected the prophets of God and... Um, and Elijah had been hiding, and they could never, ever find him. God protected him. King Ahab wanted to kill him over and over and over again. And Ahab just uh, wouldn't be able to do it. Elijah, God would show Elijah, you know, this is what they're going to do. And he'd be out of the... And it, it says he, he, he continually eluded until God says, okay, now you're going to go to Ahab. 
So anyway, Obadiah was like, you better show up. Because Elijah says, I'm going to see King Ahab. And he's like, if you don't show up and you disappear like you've been disappearing, I'm dead. And Elijah's like, okay, Obadiah, I will show up. And so he brings him to, to King Ahab. And it says here, I love this. Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out. This is verse 16. Sorry for, for those that are on the computer there. Um, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he, ex he exclaimed, So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Is it really you? You're the troublemaker. It's like... And, and I love it because Elijah says, he says, he says, I've not made no trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers. Why? For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. You have refused to honor God. You have refused to have any regard for him. I'm not the troublemaker here. You made that choice. Then he says, Now summon all of Israel. Join me on Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of, of Ashura who are supported by Jezebel or who eat at Jezebel's table. So this is Jezebel's posse, whatever you want to call it. They're her peeps, right? These are like, these are my, you know, the ones that I, I, I'm, I worship my gods with, and, and, you know, obviously they had a high position. They ate at her table. So Elijah's going to deal with this. And I believe God's putting us in situations, and I believe that the spirit of Elijah that is coming upon the church is a spirit that wants to contend with the enemy. The enemy is never people. Okay, let's, let's remember this. It's not people. It's powers and principalities and dark things from the enemy that rule. And, but we have to deal with things that are in front. God wants to contend and deal with things that we are facing and dealing with. And so sometimes people are in the way of that. And they get in the bustle of it. But it's not people that we're against. We're against an enemy. Amen? Pride is an enemy. Rises up, but, but God wants to bring up, us to a place of humility. So it says, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel was, like, it's like the stadium of that day. So Elijah is like, we are dealing with this thing. We are cleaning the house. It's been three years of a famine, and God's like, there's going to be rain that's going to come. But before rain comes, there's something else that has to come. And it's a heart change. And so Elijah's getting ready for this. He's setting the stage. They come, it says, it says, then Elijah, verse 21, stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. And this is the, the thing 
that happens when we don't live strong for God and we don't live where our proclamation matches our demonstration. Where we're just all talk about our walk, but we're not demonstrating it by the way we live. People totter here and there. Well, I like this in my life, and they pick and choose different things, and they pick and choose, and they're wavering, and they're all over the place. And this is where this, the condition of the church, the people of Israel at that time were. They were wavering. Sometimes it was Baal. Sometimes it was God. They would jump into this and jump into that. And it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And Elijah's like, guys, this has got to stop. Serve God if he's God. Serve Baal if he's Baal. But we're going to put things out here, and we're going to call it what it is. Amen? And you know what? In this shaking time, this is what I'm finding when I'm talking to different people including myself. I talk to myself. <laughs> it's, I'm not answering myself, so we're still good. <laughs> but um, there's times, there's things that are shaking, and it's like, and it shakes because God is saying, look, am I God in your life, or is this God in your life? Do you trust me with this? Because we, we pick up things, and we we pick up worldly mindsets. We pick up different things in the journey. It's life. And if we're not spending time reading our word, we're not spending our time being transformed by his word, letting God deal with those things bit by bit all the time, we pick up and we begin to. And Elijah's really coming in here and he's like, no, we're going to deal with this. So it says here, he, he says, pick one or the other. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, it's interesting because he wasn't the only prophet. There was several others he wasn't aware of that still hadn't bowed their knee. But in his mindset, he thought he was the only one. But he was willing to stand up as the only one. That's the important thing. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose which one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the, the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. How many know that's a pretty out there like, this is like, everyone's like, this is going to be a show. Come on. This is way better than Cineplex and any other. I don't care if your seat shakes and every, everything else. This is awesome. And they're like, yeah, we agree. Like, why wouldn't you? We're going to see fire come down from heaven. And you know, our contention with the enemy is the Bible says, you know, like for us, it says in the New Testament that they went about proclaiming the word of God and God follow, confirming his word with signs following. So God confirmed his word with healings, with miracles. This is our expectation. This is what we're hopeful for. This is our bread as the children of God. Healing is our bread. 
Miracles and the power of God is our expectation because of being the children of God. But a lot of times we're just, we're living far from that or we, 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 we're distanced from it. And Elijah was trying to bring them back. And so he, he, he creates this altar and they, he says, and they agree. And it says here, verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first for there are many of you. And choose one of the bowls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bowls, placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime. So they're doing this all morning, all the way through to the afternoon. How many know this show is probably getting a little boring? Right? Everyone's like, and you know what? God is like, there are sometimes in situations, and I believe he puts those situations, and sometimes people have to just hobble into their situation. They pushed away from God. You, you just, you're, the, you're there for a bit. If that's what you're trusting in, knock yourself out. And Elijah was there, and the children of Israel are watching, all of these ones that are not knowing where they stand. And so I, I love this, because Elijah, you know, he began mocking them. <laughs> I mean, this is an opportunity. It's like, come on. Like, you know, these Baal guys are, probably have annoyed him over and over and over again. And he's like, finally. <laughs> He says, um, you'll have to shout louder, for uh, sh surely he, he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or, or he's relieving himself. <laughs> Maybe he's in the potty right now, <laughs> having a really long potty break. Or he's busy somewhere else, or he's engaged in business. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, this is what they did. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. See, this is the, this is the devil. You know, he just seeks to kill, to destroy. And, you know, this whole cutting thing when people get into, it's just it's the enemy working and trying to destroy life. And, and God can restore and heal from all of that. But the people that, you know, just go down their own path and just... Allow, just push God out. You, it resorts to all of this stuff. And he's just letting it play out. It's just like, you know, they start cutting themselves. It says, then they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people and he said, come over And it says here, they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. So the altar of the Lord had just, it has been destroyed. It had been neglected. It had been, and this is the, I believe this is a, a, a figure that we need to look at in terms of a parallel. 
it's usually when the altar of our own life is torn down. It's when that, that time with God every day, that time with him, where we are offering our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Where we're not starting our day and it's like, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. But we're saying, no, God, okay, this is in the works, but I'm laying, this is yours. You cause whatever you want out of this. You can make it succeed. I was talking to someone earlier this, uh, before the service, and he was saying about how, you know, God is opening doors and doing things, but it's not the way he expected. And it's like God does that. You know, he maybe tells us the end result of what he wants, but how we get there, I, in my mind, I was like, yeah, we'll do this, this. And he's like, no, we're going to go. <laughs> but we're still there. It's like. <clears throat> so Elijah calls them and he begins to restore the altar. He's showing this is the foundation of everything that is going to begin to work here. So the altar had to be restored. And I believe that that's one of the things. There's two things God gave me before the pandemic came. In January, I always pray for a word coming into the new year. And I got something really clear. Sometimes it's not so clear. This one was. And it was, abide in me, and if my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Abide in me. That abiding and boy, did we ever get a lot of time to abide shortly after that because it was March that that all happened. And, but it's in that abiding, and it's like, and I believe it's still very, very important. It's very vital. And then the other one was coming into the next year was humble yourself into the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up in due time, casting all your cares and worries on him because he cares for you. And both of those things, they, they seem simple, but they're not. They're very challenging to do because they require, they require you to die to yourself. It's a process in which God works. And that process sometimes can be very challenging. It's not impossible, but God works that in our lives. So this is what Elijah did. He repaired the altar. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. So it was the foundation of their faith, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes that came out of Jacob. You know, it represented a family that was just about ready to, you know, the, the famine in Egypt, everything. God had preserved Joseph, and Joseph had raised up, and the, the children of Israel came into Egypt, and God preserved that nation because they would have been destroyed in the famine but God preserved them, and in 400 years, there's 2 million people, over 2 million people leaving, leaving Egypt when they, when they finally did leave. So he restored that foundation. And then it says here, um, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. It says, then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled the wood on the altar, he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the pieces on the wood. <clears throat> then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour water over the offering and the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do the same again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. 
So they did it as he said, and the, the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, how many know, like I used to think, oh, he's just doing it, you know, like God can burn up an altar even if it's soaked, right? He's like, let's make this a really good demonstration. But there's, there's several things here that are important as well. The God of rain and dew. When famine came, what was the most important thing at the end of a famine? Water. What would be the greatest sacrifice to give to God? Water. It was a, it was a, he was honoring the Lord. And I believe he was honoring the Trinity without even knowing it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, did it three times. Why? Because that's what God had told him to do. But he was, he was giving worship. He was sacrificing something that was very costly in that time. And the children of Israel are watching this. And then, of course, then they see it's just dripping wet. And this, this water is even um, gathering in this trench. And it says, uh, and the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, um, this happened. And Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. Verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And this is important for us to see. We are servants. It's God who proves himself. But I believe God's putting us in places, in places where he wants to demonstrate himself. And we're sometimes so stressed out. What, what if it doesn't happen? It's not our job to make it happen. It's our job to be obedient as a servant and do what he has us to do in different situations. He will prove himself. And, and, and Elijah knew this clear as anything. He says, God, you are God, the God of Israel, and I'm your servant. Prove that I have done this at your command. He's not out here thinking this is a great thing. No, he knew this is what God wanted done. Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Isn't that awesome? Back to yourself. This is what it's all about. God, he's trying to get the heart. He's trying to get them back to himself. And I love this. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, burned up the stones and the dust. And it even, I love this. I just see this big tongue. And it licked up. <laughs> It licked up the water in the trench. You know what? God loves the sacrifice. And he didn't, wasn't going to let any of that go to waste. He's like, you sac this water was a, a gift you honored me with. You took something that was so precious at this time. I'm going to lick it all up. And when all the people saw it, I love this. They fell face down on the ground and cried out. The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Amen.
And we're like, well, this is what's going to happen with the world. You know, this is the church. This is the children of Israel. God has mercy on those who don't know him, but he's dealing with his people. And I believe that he is bringing us to that place where he wants us to prove him in situations. He's breaking us down in areas where we've had this soulish, you know, I can do it. You know, Second Chronicles 7.14, if there's ever a time we needed this, we need it now. It says, if my people who are called by my name. So first of all, he says, if my people. He's putting the onus on us, his church, his people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So this is, it's working through that condition and allowing God to have that place. The prayer meeting is not the largest meeting in the week. So we are not there yet. We're not there. Right? But God's bringing us there. He's bringing us there. And that's why, you know what? If hard times is what's going to bring us there, let it come. Because God wants to get to our hearts, right? You know, the, the Bible says, um, you know, Jesus talked about it here. Let's go to Acts. Um, no, no, we won't go there yet. So anyway, God says, if, if my people will do this, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. We were talking about this in our leadership meeting this morning. We like the, then God will, but we don't like the, if you will. And we, we preach, and God will do this, and then God will do this. But we forget the, if you will. We leave that out. You know, the part that costs us something, the part that maybe uh, requires something from us. And then we'll get mad at God. It's like, but God, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. And God's like, but I said, if you did this, like, there's conditions for you, too, if my people. And he gave us the easy job. will humble themselves and pray. How many know dialogue with God, talking to God's not hard? It really isn't. Sometimes it is because you're like, okay, God, I don't even know if you're there. It doesn't even sound like you're hearing me. Everything looks like you're not hearing me. That part's hard, right? But how many know talking to God, we got the easy part. Humble yourselves, pray, seek him, seek him out. That's, that's spending that time with him, seeking him out, finding out what he's saying, finding out what, you know, we're having this replenish retreat. Why are we doing things like this? Because we're trying to get people in a place where they are inquiring of the Lord. They're seeking him out. They're allowing him to work in their life in a greater way. Because we are competing with a world that pulls you this way and pulls you this way and pulls you this way and puts this in your head and tells you this and tells you this. And then you've, we've not opened up our Bible. We've not let God clean out our minds. We not got brainwashed the right way. People, you know, they just want to brainwash you with the Bible. Absolutely. And I am not apologizing for you. Our brains need to be washed. They do. 
and wash it with the word of God, please. It'll clean it. It'll restore it. So God got to their hearts. Then what happens? Then it says here, verse 41 in, Elijah, in uh, 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the Mount of Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah took, told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah, and he tucked in his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. The guy becomes bionic. Okay, he's like, you know, who cares about Marvel? You got Elijah here. He's like, tucks the thing in. Outruns a chariot. Okay, like this is real. This happened. This isn't fake. Marvel's fake. <laughs> just, just so you know, right? <laughs> it's fake. This is not. This is our God. This is our God, and this is how he works. You know, let's go to Acts 4, 8, 8 to 13. Where are we at for time? Okay. It says here, because this is an account where we see, I want us to bring it back to the New Testament, because how does God work in this day and age? Because, like, you know, am I going to be like Elijah? Well, the Bible, you know, we know that... Um, uh, gapping on his name, he was translated, um, Philip. He was speaking to the person, telling him the gospel, uh, the, the eunuch in his, uh, in his whatever, on the road is a wagon thing. I don't know, whatever they ride it. Anyway, he, he finally baptizes, he gets, the guy gets saved, he finds a river, baptizes him, and while he baptizes, all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. He's translated, and he's, boom, he's in another spot. So this happened, this New Testament. So these things can happen too. But it was desperate times. And desperate times require desperate measures. And so he, um, in this case here, it says here in, in Acts 4, it, this was a situation where a guy was crippled from, I think he was 40 years crippled, I believe it says. He was the guy at the gate, beautiful where they walked in for the, the time of prayer. And remember, Peter said to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And boom, strength came into his leg. Leaping in God. And guess what? Jail time for you. <laughs> what? It's like, you know, it's sad in our country right now. I'm going to use this because this is a platform that the government has right now. One of the parties running has a, um, an agenda that they're going to take charitable status away from anyone who uh, is against abortion. That's on their platform. 
and they're going to target the pregnancy resource centers. And I don't know if you're aware of the pregnancy resource center in Barrie. I can only speak of that one because I know it. I know Kathy Peterson who started it very well. Wonderful lady. Most gracious, loving lady. They are, there is no condemnation for any person that comes into those, that place. They will, yes, show them. This is what happens with abortion. They will show those things. But then they say, okay, have you considered this? And they, and they give them supports, they give them options, and they give them its love and its compassion along with telling them the truth that this is a life that you're actually going to end. But they've painted us like we're haters and we're, and you know, and it's like, and we're going to take your charitable status and, and, you know, the next it'll be the church. It's, it's just, a, it's progressive. The way they work. So, you know, and I don't care about your, I, I give my money to God whether I get a tax receipt or not. And I hope we have to be, we can be bigger than that. I think we should give because we fear God and we love God. And we, we love his house and we want to see it grow. So I would think it should have no bearing. But the, the, the thing is, though, is it's something that's good and it's being called evil. It's worthy of jail time, like this healing here. You know, and, and it says, anyway, it says here, then Peter and, you know, they're brought before the rulers and the elders of the people. And, and, and this is where we'll start, verse, Acts 4, verse 8. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the first thing we see. Peter spent his time with God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you. Okay. Here we see it again. No mincing around. Getting to the heart of it. Oh, yeah, it's a higher power. Oh, yeah, it's God. He's really good. No. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation. Okay, how many know this is a pretty absolute statement? There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. How many know this is pretty clear? He's not tottering. He's not teetering. He's pretty clear. And it says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. All right. 
So that means the unqualified can do this thing, like Daniel said, with the youth, praying for that person, seeing them healed. Jesus can work through all of us. Amen? He says here, so they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, and I love this, and they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Men who had been with Jesus. They had just, they had been with Jesus. Just walking with Jesus, the greatest thing that we can do, guys, this is why we have replenished in different things, getting people into a deeper relationship with Jesus, walking with him every day, spending that time with him every day. Sometimes we need to create atmospheres where that can be cultivated, where that can grow, where that can flourish. You know, even just having meal times together, I was, you know, I had yesterday with the youth, but having the meal times, you know, everyone being able to sit down and just connect and talk, having times where we can set apart and do that. When do we get to do that? Not very often. So then when, there's, when there are those times, let's do it. Let's see what God can do in those times. And you know what Sheila and I did when we had little kids, because you can't go, obviously, with little kids. Um, we would swap. So it would be my turn to go. She'd swing with the kids, and then on that other time. So we do one in the, we're doing one in the fall. We do one in the spring. And we do this because we want to be with Jesus, and we want to be those that have been known to, to walk with Jesus, have spent time with Jesus. Amen? And so this is what we want to cultivate in our lives. We want to cultivate that place where, God, you can do anything. And I believe that the things that we're facing, the things that are coming up, people are being challenged with tough decisions. People are given and put in places now where they have to make decisions. They're given ultimatums. They're having to make tough choices. And we need to know that, okay, God, what are you saying and what do I need to do in this? Because like Elijah, what is God saying? Elijah didn't go and do the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel because it was his idea. God had told him, I'm bringing rain, but when I, before I bring the rain, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set things straight. So in every situation, God, what do you want me to do? I want to honor you. I want to follow you. Because this is what it says about Elijah in James 5, 16 to 18. And I want us to, um, we're going to end with this. It says, confess your sins. If I can have team up. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. How many here are human? Okay. He was like us. But it says here, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. So it was his prayer of faith. It was his believing prayer that God, this is what you want to do. This is how you want to get to your people. This is how you want to deal with this. 
I know this is what you want. This is what you've told me, and I'm going to pray it. And when he prayed it, it happened. So what is the most important thing here? It's not, oh, man, I can make rain stop. I can walk on water, right? I remember um, we met a guy, uh, Mel Tari, I believe his name was. He was a missionary in Africa. He was going to remote tribes, and he, was going, he had walked on water several times. Why? Because there were no boats, and there were places he had to go where he literally had to walk across lakes. And everyone's like, oh, why? What was it like? Oh, was it, you know? And he's like, he says, I was so close to God and so caught up in God. It wasn't important. It wasn't important. It was what God wanted me to do. I was in the moment of what God wanted. And he did all those things, walked on water, saw the dead raised. Why? Because desperate times require de desperate measures. So what if times get more desperate? Great. I believe it's greater opportunities for God to do something more. It's, it's greater opportunities for us to to find out what he's saying and allow him to be who he is in our situations, in this nation, in all of the areas that God's called us to. All of us are in unique situations. God uses every moment. He uses every circumstance. And he will work them for his glory if he has a people that are choosing him, that are saying, you to be seen in these situations. And I believe it's a process he's working in us. But he, that's what he does. He's God. And he wants to do that in each one of us. So how many say you want to be in that place, God? You want to bring God to bring you to that place. You want to allow God to work in these situations. Um, not like the world. Things that will, will break people will make you. God can make and use something in every situation. Uh, what I love about God is with God, nothing is wasted, ever. Nothing is wasted. Even what is wasted, God will use. <laughs> He'll use it. You know, I call them for myself, holy haunts. There's some things that's like, okay, that was really bad. And that was the real, and God uses that to scare the bejeebies out of me so that I won't do it again. It's a holy haunt. He'll use it. It's not wasted. It was a bad thing, but it doesn't have to happen again. Amen? Because that's our God. He, he it's so awesome to be able to follow him. So as we, I'm just, we're going to just declare his holiness. And I want us to just give our lives back to him. It's the greatest thing that we can do is give him back everything. Even if well, I did it, you know, just a few hours ago, do it again. Just reaffirm that his, your life is his. If you want to live wholly separated, set apart he wants 
to do great things through his church. I believe that. I believe he's working that in us. He's sifting us and he's, he's shaking things up so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. Thank you, Lord. So God, we just, we, we say yes to you. Not just in a fickle yes, but God, understanding, God, that you are a holy that you want all of us, every part of us. Every part of us. So we give you every part of us. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc